Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, I'm Andrea Blythe, co-host of New Books and Poetry, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, we're speaking with Sarah J. Sloat. Sarah is the author of Hotel Almighty, a collection of visual poetry published in September by Sarah Band Books. Born in New Jersey, Sarah has lived in Kansas, China, and Italy, and now splits her time between Frankfurt and Barcelona, where she works as a news editor. She has spent most of the pandemic in Germany with her husband and son, eating takeout schnitzel and working in her pajamas. Her favorite poets include Federico Garcia Lorca, Vasco Popa, Natasha Trethway, and Charles Wright. Thanks for being on the show, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I've, I've never been on a podcast before, so this is exciting. <laughs> exciting, yeah. <laughs> All righty. So I love the fact that you included some of your favorite poets mm-hmm. in your biography, and I would love to know why those poets in particular um, are inspiring to you. Okay, sure. Um, well, Vasco Popa. Uh, Vasco Popa is, uh, I don't know if you, you're probably familiar with these poets. Um, Vasco Popa is an Eastern European uh, poet. Um, he writes fairly short poems, often in series, which are a bit surreal and sometimes very funny, but also really menacing in a way. He has um, a series of poems called The Little Box Poems, uh, which I really recommend. They're really um, wonderful. Uh, what, were, what were the other ones? Lorca. So Lorca I've always loved. He's just got such beautiful images. Uh, they really, really resonate um, in Spanish and in English. Um, it's it's almost as if you couldn't do a bad translation of Lorca. He's really gorgeous. Um, and Natasha Trethewey. So I read her for the first time last summer. Um, I was doing the Sealy Challenge, uh, which is the um, summer challenge in which you read a poetry book every day, which was really exciting um, because I read a lot of new things. I also read a lot of things, a lot of poets that I have read before, but I had never read her and I didn't know what to expect. Um, I will say that I've read many books of poetry in that month. I think it was September that didn't particularly turn me on. And she just had this wonderful way of weaving in art and family relationships and her wonderful command of language. I just really enjoyed that. And I um, just recently read her memoir, Memorial Drive, which was also really good. I still haven't read um, a couple of her books. And so I have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, great. (laughs) How did you first connect to poetry as a writer as well as a reader? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure as many people probably say on your show, I, I always loved reading when I was a kid. My parents read a lot. We had a lot of books in the house. Uh, my dad is a writer. Um, so reading was a pastime in the family. You know, that was what people did in the evening. Um, I was born in a time when there were, were not screens. We didn't have internet, so <laughs> our parents controlled our screen time was TV. You know, we turned it off before dinner and after dinner, 
you know, there was nothing else to do except read. Yeah, I loved stories. I read a lot of um, stories about other countries when I was little. Um, we had not very many poetry books in the house. Uh, if I remember right, we had three poetry books. Uh, one was Keats. Uh, one was uh, Leaves of Grass. We had an illustrated Leaps of Grass, so that was fun when I was a kid. And we had a book of E.E. E. Cummings. I was born in the 60s, so, you know, E.E. E. Cummings was writing then. He, I think he died in 62. And I just loved E.E. E. Cummings because it looked so different on the page. Uh, it was easy to understand. He had definitely a, an, an attitude. I remember, I think the book we had was Selected Poems, which has an introduction that goes, the poems to come are for you and for me and are not for most people. Everything he wrote just seemed very <laughs> much like a poem. Um, and that was where I really connected with poetry as a reader. As I say, those were the only books of poetry we had in the house. Uh, I lived in a kind of blue-collar town. Our school was not you know, one that we really had poetry readings in. Uh, we read Shakespeare. That was you know, the high school fair. So I read poetry again in college, and that really opened up for me at that time. But I didn't really write poetry until I was in my 30s. So I wasn't a teenager or even in my 20s writing poetry and submitting poems. I was really much more a reader most of my life. And I had traveled around a lot and before I ever started writing poetry. And I don't really know what actually triggered it. I, I was living in Italy at the time. It was before 9-11, a couple of years before, or maybe just a year before. And, and I just started to write poetry. And I, I said, wow, you know, <laughs> I, I can actually do this. I think that when I was young, I thought that poetry was something, you know, that belonged to the gods. You, everyone who, who did it must be doing it exceptionally well. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like when you start to paint and you think, oh, my God, I can't paint. I'm not going to do it. But you, you just sort of realize, wow, everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah. And then after 9-11, I think I, I wrote a lot more poetry after that. So, yeah, I've been writing poetry for a couple of decades, but um, I was not uh, an early bloomer. That's so interesting. <laughs> how, um, so the, like, as you got started writing poetry, how did the act of writing poetry evolve into the act of publishing poetry? I, I think that um, when I started writing poetry, I didn't have any hopes at all, really, of publishing poetry. I was just writing poems. I'm sh that's probably the same for every poet, I would think, no matter what age you are. I think that when you start to write poetry, it's something very, you know, obviously it's something very internal, um, something you're working on in an interior way. There isn't the sort of outward looking thing like what am I going to do with this is this useful <laughs> can I sell this um so how did I start to ever publish poems yeah I think that to be honest I've always found it slightly difficult because I live abroad so I've never really had a poetry community around me or writers that I you know did workshops with or anything like that uh, everything I did I I did by myself and I don't mean it in like narcissistic way, you know, like I'm responsible for all this and nobody taught me anything. I don't mean that at all, um, because obviously your biggest teacher will always be reading. But I 
Probably I started to publish when I joined an online workshop group. So the internet really saved my life in that way, you know, where I was able to connect with people, with poets who wrote in English. And uh, just in that workshop, I suppose, you know, there were other poets with way more experience than me, way better than me, and they were publishing poems. And yeah, they encouraged me. Obviously, they gave me feedback. And that was where I first, you know, got the idea that I could do that. And I I would simply say that that was at least 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago, probably. Um, At that time, we were still doing a lot of submissions by mail, (laughs) you know, like you had to send your your, um, submission by post. Uh, So I used to have my mother send me stamps because you had to send a self-addressed stamped envelope and I didn't have American stamps. So I had to get my mother to mail them to me. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's a kind of funny experience now that I think about it, that over the years, that's something that never happens anymore. And I still have a bunch of American stamps in my drawer. Wow. The way things, things yeah. change. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. So um, let's talk about your new book, Hotel Almighty. As I understand it, it came out of a writing challenge. And I would love if you talked a bit about the challenge itself and how that initiated the work and then how you evolved it for, into a book from there. Sure. Yeah. Hotel Almighty was initially just some erasure poems that I did as part of a challenge. Uh, the challenge is called The Poeming. The Poeming still exists. Um, it's an online group where uh, I, can't, I think it's every October. Uh, they call it The Poeming because I don't actually don't know why they call it The Poeming, but it always reminded me of something spooky or the first one that they did was the Stephen King one. And I always thought of the shining. So it was supposed to be a kind of spooky October thing. As I say, it's still, it's still going strong. They do a different book or a set of books every October, but what the challenge was then they, um, the coordinators had people sign up and each person got a book by Stephen King. That was the author that they were concentrating on that time. And you could ask for a particular book. Um, And I did. I asked for The Shining because I had The Shining. It was the only Stephen King book that I had. Uh, Again, just thinking that I live in a foreign country, I can't just walk down to the store and get some other Stephen King book in English. Um, So I really wanted to do that one, but somebody else already had taken it. I think it's probably the most uh, popular Stephen King book. So they assigned me uh, Misery, which I had never read. So luckily I could order it online and it came in time for the challenge. And I just started, again, I, um, at this point, I didn't really have much experience even doing erasure poems. I had done some erasure poems to con- uh, confess it wasn't something that at the time uh, really, really excited me, but I wanted to do this challenge. It was a kind of fun thing to do in a, in a group. And then the reason that it did sort of eventually you know, interest me more was just the collage part of it. So adding the visuals to it. It seemed to me that if you took the page and erased part of the page or, you know, obscured the text in some way, you had a lot of room. (laughs) So what were you going to do with that? And that was what I tried to do. I tried to early on sort of add some elements there that made looking at the poem more interesting. So that's really how it started. I didn't have any intentions of taking it beyond that month or, you know, doing a visual poem every time. There were days when I just did an erasure without leaving it on the page, you know, just writing it in a notebook instead. 
So, yeah, I mean, it just sort of developed over then. And then when we got to the end of the month, I said, actually, I'm not finished with this. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Um, there are a lot of pages left. And I, as I say, I just found the visual, the visual element of it really exciting. I didn't want the visuals to connect directly to the poem, necessarily. I tried to make them somehow in and of themselves. Uh, nevertheless, as with most things, you, you find ways to connect the visual to the poem. Just like in the different chapters of the book, uh, sections of the book, you find ways to connect the poems within that section even if initially there was no intention of having them be connected to each other at all. Right, right. I love the way you connect the visuals to the text in your book. And there's a couple of little layers that we can discuss in that. But for any of our listeners who might not be aware of what erasure poetry is, can you talk a bit about what it is and what you've discovered about it as you started working with it? Sure. Erasure poetry is a kind of found poetry. Uh, found poetry means that there is a source text. So it is not, the poem will not be made up of words that you necessarily, you know, pulled out of a hat. There's a source text and, and you're going to use that to um, create a poem. So a found poem can simply be found as it is. You know, there are some political speeches way back in the Bush days where, um, Somebody would say something at a press conference and people would turn it into a found poem using every word in the speech or in the reply. Um, I think that was the defense, uh, the Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld. They made poems, found poems out of the things that he would say. But an erasure poem uh, is a kind of found poem in which you get rid of much of the text that's available um, and you make choices. And erasure means that the words stay in the same order, pretty much. So you could also take a page and use some of the words, for example, but change the order of the words. And with erasure, you leave them where they are uh, on the page. Of course, you don't have to leave them on the page. You can write them down and, you know, type them up, whatever. Erasure, um, yeah, can be done that way. Um, or as I say, like as a collaged poem. I think that it, technically when you leave them in the same order, it's called blackout poetry. So Hotel Almighty technically is blackout poetry, except it's not blacked out. <clears throat> it's mostly whited out, or I use a colored pencil in a lot of cases, blue or green, whatever, but just finding a way to obscure the text that you don't want to use. Yeah. And so since I personally left everything on the page where it is, uh, you can see you can see the page and you can see what it looks like and where the words have been taken from. So each each poem takes a bit of obviously a, a shape, and as I say, it leaves a lot of space with which you you know can leave it blank or or put in some collage or color or whatever. Yeah, and um, I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's it's a, always difficult to describe a visual format. It's kind of easier to just kind of look at the format. It's like a redacted letter, you know, when you get a, like a sensor has come in and crossed out big parts of your, your, your letter with a Sharpie or with a, you know, some kind of black strikeout. That's what erasure sometimes looks like. But when I did hotel, the poems for Hotel Almighty, that was always what I was trying to avoid. I really didn't want to use 
black or strike out. Uh, I wanted it to be a little bit easier on the eye. Yeah, yeah. There's there's an interesting element to erasure or blackout where, like, if it's a hard blackout, then it's like the words are just gone. But in the case of some of your poems, the existing words kind of go through. So you get this sense of, like, you're reading a poem that's the specific words that have been selected, but the existence of the text, original text, is reminded that it's there, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's ghostly. Yeah, yeah. And you add a very much a visual element to it with the collage. So what is your process for creating poems such as you did in Hotel Almighty? Mm -hmm. Does selecting the words come first and then the collage come after? Yeah. So with Hotel Almighty, uh, obviously, I was working with the book Misery. I wanted, um, at least initially, to use only the pages that said Misery at the top, because on one side of the, when you open the book on the recto page, it says Stephen King at the top, and on the verso page, it says Misery at the top. And I didn't really want to have a poem that said Stephen King at the top. <laughs> so so I went with the... Um, Sorry, I think I did it the wrong way around. All the recto pages said misery. So that's what I, I pretty much focused on, taking those pages. So when you look at the, the poems in the book, you'll see that many, many of them say misery at the top. As time went on, I kind of loosened this. <laughs> I found a lot of poems on the other pages too. And I said, okay, well, I'll find a way to also obscure the name. Um, but with, in each case, I always began with the poem. Um, I didn't really have any ideas for what was going to happen with the page uh, beyond finding the poem. So I would look for the words first and compose the poem. And, and then I would decide, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to uh, obscure the unwanted text with um, a colored pencil? Uh, do I want to white it out? I did a number of things. I also uh, actually cut the, cut the unwanted text away with an X-Acto knife. Um, there are a couple poems in the book where you can see that. I think the last poem in the book, which is called Now I Must Rinse, uh, I also call it The Republic, the entire page is cut away except for the words that I wanted to keep. And I put an image behind that page so it comes through rather than lying on top. So I, that's what I would do first. I would find the poem um, and then I would obscure the text. And then I would say, okay, <laughs> what kind of space have I got here to work with? You know, what can I put here? What's going to, to fit? And then depending on, you know, if I made the page green, for example, um, I'd try to make it somehow harmonious. If I cut the page away, I'd look for something sort of vibrant that could be behind it that would come through. I tried to make it easy to read. I think if you, you know, for example, if you cut the page away and put something black and white behind, that's really confusing to people. You know, they don't know what, where are the words they're looking for. And also, if you're using a collage, I, I tried to avoid any collage that had uh, any elements that had text in them because people think they need to read those words too. It's just, it's kind of hard to follow if you, I don't know, add certain things that, that you know, just don't work. So that that was pretty much it. You know, I um, obscured the text and then I just begin playing around with whatever I had um, in terms of collage or making things. Uh, I often I have one page where I cut green triangles and made them into pine trees. 
I used old photographs, some things I drew myself. I used thread in a lot of the, the poems. Yeah, and I honestly made so many poems, we, we probably threw, you know, 30, 40 poems away that the, you know, we, we couldn't decide whether or not we wanted them in the book. And in some cases, many of the poems had uh, two or even three versions and just in the end sort of narrowed it down to which one I like the best. Yeah, wow. So as you're working with a text like Misery, do you find yourself influenced by the themes or story of the original text? Or do you kind of develop your own themes as you go along? You know, as, when I first started, I didn't, I didn't have any real intention of making the poems cohesive. You know, they were not going to be a collection. I tried to do every single one individually, you know, like, what do I have here? What can I get out of it? What can I make it into? I didn't particularly focus on any themes uh, that I wanted to, you know, highlight. Uh, Nevertheless, as many people have noted, the the themes that are actually in misery, uh, that of sort of confinement, being constrained, do seem to come up in the poems a lot. I really tried to avoid the poems having anything to do with misery. Misery is a horror novel, you know. It's about a a nurse who takes a, a writer captive in a Colorado cabin. He's gravely injured and can't get out of bed. <laughs> and she has experience as a nurse. Nevertheless, what she does is torture him and make him worse and forces him to write the book she wants to read. So, you know, there are some bloody scenes and I, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, you know, sometimes I'll be looking at one of the poems that I did and, you know, if you look real closely, you're like, oh my God, you know, that's where she cut off his thumb. <laughs> so <laughs> I did definitely try to stay away from the subject matter. Nevertheless, uh, some of the themes definitely come through isolation, confinement. Um, yeah. Which we're all dealing with now. <laughs> Very apropos at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had these uh, these poems and more than you even ended up putting in the book. Yeah. How did you kind of figure out the order and the sections and how they all kind of work together? Yeah. I mean, this was a, an interesting process because, as I say, I never, I was really thrilled to do these poems. I mean, these poems are really exciting to do because it seems so different to me. You know, I, I really wrote conventional poems, you know, conventional in, you know, free verse, <laughs> uh, on the page, you know, my favorite subjects. Um, and so to do erasure was first of all, like, wow, I never, I never really tried this before seriously. And it's, there's a lot you can do with it. And then, as I say, the visual element um, really brought a lot to it for me that made it so fun and has made it really hard to go back to conventional poetry, to be honest. But when I was, so I never tried to put it together as a book until the publisher um, contacted me and asked me if I might be interested in doing a book. And then I thought, wow, that's really amazing. (laughs) I really have to think about how to organize such a book. So. What I did was simply weed out the things I didn't like 
Um, and then I still had, say, 80, 85 poems. Um, and then the edit, uh, my editor, Kristen Miller, she weighed in, you know, talking about the poems that she liked most, uh, which ones she thought were weak or didn't really fit. So that was mostly how we did it. And then I tried to, I tried to organize uh, the poems into sections. Uh, there was there was a lot to really take into account because when you're doing when you're organizing a book of conventional poetry, it's already very hard for everyone to organize their manuscript. Everybody knows that, you know. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> you see so many people struggling with this. You know, it's totally true, and I struggled with it as well. Like, what does each section have as its focus? But at the same time, when I was organizing the book, um, since the since the poems were going to be face to face on the page, I had the the consideration that I couldn't really have a pink poem next to a green poem. <laughs> I couldn't have an orange poem and then a purple poem. You know, they it just looked it was jarring. So I. This was a, it was just a, an interesting thing that a lot of the organization of the poem has to do with how it works visually and not just how it works thematically. I didn't want to have two dark poems next to each other. I didn't want to have two poems with lots of confetti next to each other. Uh, and then came, of course, also the language. Um, I'd find that I'd have two poems that are short poems based on a simile next to each other. And I'd say, oh, you know, somebody's going to read that and say, you know, this poem sounds just like the last one in a way. So I tried to mix them up um, according to how they looked, uh, as well as what the text was doing. Yeah, it's such an interesting challenge, having that added vis visual element in addition to trying to figure out the text. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you do look at it, with that in mind, um, I hope <laughs> you'll see, like, there are not blue poems next to blue poems. I, I tried not to have, like, that you'd open a page and be overwhelmed with green, um, even though there are a lot of blue and green poems. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, they each work as a spread so that you, they work cohesively together. It's, it's lovely. Thanks. Yeah. So... Erasure poetry is inherently transformational, providing this new perspective on the original work. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I'm curious about is, do you feel that discovering erasure poetry and writing this book has transformed you as a poet? Oh, it definitely has, but not necessarily in how I interact with texts. You know, I, I still read many, many books as a reader and never look at them <laughs> with any ulterior motive, like, hmm, I could do something with this. But definitely, I mean, I, I, as I say, the poetry I was writing before I started this project was conventional poetry of text on a page, free verse. And the, as I say, the, the, just the visual element of this project was so exciting to me that I found it really hard to go back. So I did finish the book, obviously, and uh, it came out last September. And since then, I've just sort of been looking around for, for projects in which I can combine um, text and visuals again, either in a similar way or, or in a different way. I, there are a lot of visual poets. You know, I think that it's, that's the age. We have so much that we look at every day on the screen. So there are people posting poems on Twitter, on Instagram, 
you know, there are there are many different kinds of visual poetry also using multimedia and video. And that's really uh, exciting and really fun. I think it's a good, <laughs> you know, in terms of like scrolling through Twitter, it's a good selling point for a lot of poets. You know, if I can use that word, it's kind of not the word I want, but it's eye-catching. It's an attraction point. It's an attraction, yeah. Yeah. So now that you have this book out in the world that you didn't expect to be a book, but it exists, <laughs> yeah. what would you hope that readers connect with or get out of the work? Yeah, I would hope that they, they see it as a whole. And when I was doing it, and even now when I work on projects, a lot of what I find and I'm doing is just expressing a love of reading and of books themselves. I mean, I just love paper <laughs> and, uh, you know, and to take a book and to be able to make it into something uh, that was really fun and exciting to me. And I would hope that that would, you know, be something that would come across uh, to somebody looking at Hotel Almighty, that here's somebody who took care with these pages, you know, who spent a lot of time and uh, out of love, out of love, love of reading and of books themselves. A lot of the Poems from the book are actually <clears throat> mounted on hardback covers, so it doesn't. We didn't do it that way just because we wanted the, the um, <clears throat> images to be uniform in the book. But uh, a lot of the poems when I was doing them, I would paste them to the inside of a hardback book, and it, just the look of that—it's a really uh, for me it has a wonderful texture. It's very tactile. It's very sturdy. But it's all paper, and um, it's pages of a book. I don't know. I just uh, find that very warm in the hand. Um, it's uh, it's really uh, been quite quite satisfying to do that. Yeah, I can imagine. Would you like to talk a bit about what you're working on now and what readers might get to see from you in the future? Sure. I don't have anything that I'm working on in terms of, boy, I'm going to be doing a new book uh, in any way. I've kind of flirted with different texts. Last summer, I got a little uh, novella by a, a Dutch author called uh, Sleepless Night, uh, Sleepless Nights, uh, and I did a series of poems uh, from that book. And I picked that book actually uh, because of the name of the book, Sleepless Nights. It just, again, just like misery, seemed like a wonderful thing to have at the top of every page, as if every poem I could make could be some expression of an evening, uh, of a night that you couldn't fall asleep, and why not? Yeah. And so that was fun. Um, unfortunately, it was a very short book, <laughs> and uh, I probably got, um, I don't know, I probably wrote uh, anywhere from 12 to 16 uh, poems from, from that book. And I tried to do them more uniformly. Uh, every page is whited out rather than using colored pencil. So I've done a number of those. I think there are still a few that will come out in, in timber. I don't think those are out yet. I've done some some stray pages from other books as well. There are also books that I was working on at the same time I was doing Misery. I used the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin a lot, which is kind of a tough one because of the antiquated language in there. And um, it's often very preachy. There aren't a lot of concrete objects. Um, that was one of the advantages of misery. You know, there's a lot of 
concrete. There's, there are many concrete objects. There are beds and typewriters and bowls of soup, etc. So things that you can pick out and make into a poem. Uh, whereas a lot of other books, including the Franklin book, it's all about ideas, and that's very difficult. <laughs> but sometimes it works. Um, and last, the last thing I've been doing is um, Two Serious Ladies by Jane Bowles. I've been doing some uh, erasure poems from that book too, which is which is really fun. Uh, reading reading the book at the same time uh, that I'm doing that. So once I read through ten pages, I'll go back and and look and see if there's a page I want to use. And the only the other thing that I've been doing is um, aphorisms. Um, I do write a lot of aphorisms. I have a little notebook of aphorisms that I've kept for years, and I finally thought, you know, I should really do something with these. <laughs> Aphorisms, uh, of course, are, are generally very short. Uh, so I've been making collages uh, with these aphorisms on old postcards. And I put a bunch of them, uh, not a bunch, but I put some on, on Twitter. I have a few that were, will be coming out in the spring and summer uh, in various magazines. That's been a lot of fun. And again, I think it's, it's rather like um, misery in that each one is in and of itself. They are not necessarily connected to each other. Nevertheless, the format is the same. And the collages that I've been doing uh, in many ways take the same approach. It's often just shapes rather than representations. So there are not necessarily cutouts of people or of chairs or of trees uh, because it's on a postcard already with certain things on it. Um, It's rather things like circles and, and squares and triangles, swooshes and things like that. I have put a couple up on Twitter. Yeah, and they've been really fun. They're very colorful. (laughs) Sounds lovely. So to wrap up, is there something that you're reading or some form of media that you're loving or finding inspiring right now? What am I reading now? Hmm, Actually, I just finished a book today, so I'm actually looking for something to read (laughs) right now um, because I I do have a big stack of books uh, that I haven't read yet. So what have I read recently that I really loved? I have a friend of mine, uh, Dave Bonta, and he lives in Pennsylvania, and he does erasure poetry as well. Uh, he recently made his book of erasure poetry available in a PDF for free. So I've been reading his poems, and he's he's terrific. I really enjoyed uh, reading. He's written, I, I don't even know how many poems are in his collection, but, but quite a few. Um, so I've been reading that. I really like erasure poetry more than I did, you know, seven years ago when I didn't really know the scope of it. Um, Before I did Hotel Almighty, I hadn't really read it. I mean, since then, obviously, I've read a lot of it. Um, Jen Bourbon's Nets, etc. And as I say, Dave Bonta just made his uh, PDF available. Uh, I have to pull it up and and find the name of it. Um, But I've been reading his poems online for, for years. And he recommended a book for me, which is coming in the mail. I have to go on a plane trip soon, and very unfortunately, because I really don't want to get on a plane. Nevertheless, it's (laughs) some micro-poetry by a a writer named Alejandra Pizarnik, Extracting the Stone of Madness, um, which he says really inspired him, and I'm really looking forward to reading, too. Wonderful. (laughs) Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you or your work? Yeah, I actually have a website, which I just got sort of, there was a little glitch in it, so where I couldn't blog, uh, but that has now been fixed. It's sarahjsloat.com. 
So if anyone is interested, they go there. It also links to my Twitter account and my um, Instagram account. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my account is, let me see, I always forget, S Jane. That's it. And on Instagram, it's S Jane 30. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you go to the to the website, they're all there. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So thank you so much for this uh, wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you. It's really nice of you to have me. Yeah, so thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This is New Books and Poetry, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Mm-hmm.